Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, February 10th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Adam McVicker, Global News City Hall reporter. Adam brings us the latest on the impact the provincial plan to ease COVID restrictions will have on the city, including the possibility of City Council continuing a version of the restriction exemption program for local businesses and organizations. Next, we look at the stress caused by the pandemic and the effect it's having on our cardiovascular health. From overeating to being physically inactive, we speak with a cardiologist from the University of Alberta for details on just how widespread the issue is and what we can do proactively to protect our hearts. Do you or someone you know suffer from celiac disease? We explore how common the digestive disorder is in Canada and hear why it's so difficult to accurately diagnose. We discuss with Dr. Justine Dowd, a professor from the Faculty of Kinesiology from the University of Calgary, who struggles with celiac disease herself. And finally, the pandemic continues to challenge local businesses. We hear some tips on how to navigate these unprecedented times from Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. Ellen breaks down the importance of social media for businesses to stand out and grab the attention of customers. Following the province of Alberta's plan and the Premier announcement this week to begin easing restrictions, the City of Calgary explored the idea of their own REP and the future future of mask bylaws in the city. With more, we turn to Global News City Hall reporter Adam McVicker. With the province dropping its restrictions exemption program and announcing a plan to further ease restrictions, the City of Calgary is weighing its options and how the changes impact the city's COVID-19 policies. On Wednesday, Calgary's Community Development Committee got a COVID-19 update from emergency officials and city administration. The city's vaccine passport bylaw ceased to have effect when the province lifted its proof of vaccination program and a city committee voted against exploring options and ways to implement its own vaccine passport. Ward 8 City Councillor Courtney Walcott brought forward the proposal and told committee his motivation is just to get information so council can make a decision at a later date. This isn't a conversation on whether or not you should say yes or no to whatever report administration comes back, but this is really saying yes to information. Only Walcott, Mayor Jyoti Gondak, and Councillors Jean Colocara and Courtney Penner voted in favor. Ward 6 City Councillor Richard Putman says he's received many calls from Calgarians in favor of lifting restrictions, and that's why he voted against exploring a municipal program. Just didn't see what utility we would make of them at City Hall. What, 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 what purpose would it serve? And that was never satisfactorily explained. Committee did vote to have Gondek reach out to the province and request more COVID-19 data that was used to determine the path to easing restrictions. Meanwhile, Calgary's mask bylaw remains in effect. Committee hearing the city's bylaw does not include schools, but there may be a discrepancy next week when the provincial mask rules change for kids under 12. The city's bylaw includes kids two years old and up. Council is expected to have a discussion on what options are available for the mask bylaw when it comes to the minimum age, but also if the city will repeal it at the same time as the provincial government, which is slated for March 1st. Reporting from City Hall, Adam McVicker, Global News. Interesting for sure. Yeah. I think it's I think it is a good idea for City Council to ask the province for the information, the data that yeah. that, that Jason Kenney based his decision to move forward on. I think if everybody had that in front of them, there would be fewer questions. And at least yeah, and at least explore these things as far as you know, the options that we do have as a city and uh, more information, knowledge is power. We need to know it. But I think I like to think back and it's, it's been a long time. It's been two years since March of 2020 that we've 
really entered this world. But if you'll recall, when we had our first cases in Canada, when we had our first cases in the city and the province, it wasn't instantaneous that we had this mask mandate in place. Mm -hmm. It took time to get where we were to put these protections in place. It's going to take time to back out of these. And if you remember, the rural and certain areas were just like you know, blowing up with cases, whereas others very, had very few. And I think it gives people a little bit of time, too, to get used to the idea that they're taking a mask off. Because I think a lot of people, a lot wow. of, and I include myself in it, we've gotten used to it. Don't like it, yeah. but have gotten used to it, and it's a bit of a, a safety thing, right? So you feel good when you're wearing it. You've, you've got a little bit of a sense of protection there. So this gives people a bit of time. But I do agree with, you know, Ward 6 Councillor Richard Putmans, who said, it, it. you know, putting confusing jurisdictions in, confusing the public on what the rules are going to be municipally versus the province. I don't think this is the time for that. But that being said, I would like to see the data that the premier is using in making his decision. But also everything has been politicized every step of the way over the past two years. It'll be interesting. But yeah, to your point, I think the kids, the teens, and, and maybe even the seniors uh, we'll have t- a hard time letting go, you know, for not, sure. not, not kids, to generalize, but our kids, if that's all they've known for two years in school and everywhere, it's, yep. a, it's kind of been their, their safety blanket, if you will. It has, it will be tough to break that habit. Yep. The last two years have been challenging for Canadians to say the least stress and anxiety levels are high. Our physical activity has decreased while our alcohol consumption has risen. So what will be the long-term health consequences specifically on our cardiovascular health? With Insight, we're joined this morning by Dr. Justin Izikowitz, cardiologist and director for the cardiovascular research at the University of Alberta. Good morning to you. Good morning, and thank you for Edmonton. Thank you. Uh, Listen, I want to ask you this, because it has been tough for the past two years, but could the past two years, all that's been happening, you know, some of the unhealthy choices and the stress really have an impact on our cardiovascular health? Well, yes, and one of the things we've realized in both uh, people with existing heart disease and those who have yet to develop heart disease is stress does have a major impact on people's um, ability to function well on a day-to-day basis, but also their long-term outcomes, such as being in hospital or having a future heart attack. And that's both physical stress as well as the mental and emotional stress that goes along with things such as the pandemic. Okay, so doctor, you know, let's talk about people who maybe had a healthy heart before the pandemic. Like, is it, is it, a, I, I think I'm just kind of piggybacking on what Andy was asking. Is it, is it a short period of time? Can we do that much damage to our heart? Well, the heart is, is pretty resilient. And we know that from being kids when we kind of worked it really hard. And uh, when there are these short-term stresses, they can do some damage to the heart, mostly because of um, a few factors. One is there's the healthy behaviors that we sometimes drop and we pick up some unhealthy behaviors. You already alluded to a few of them, uh, such as not getting as much exercise, starting smoking or smoking more, um, you know, drinking more alcohol, eating poorly. All those same factors are just amplified. But also the heart itself during moments of stress does undergo uh, substantial tra- changes. Some are reversible and some are irreversible. And some of the challenges, is even in brief periods of stress, um, whether or not it's um, a very stressful um, moment, but also during, so this has been a, a couple of years now of stress for a lot of people, there can be some irreversible changes that happen that can affect people's uh, long-term outcomes for heart disease. Okay, so, you know, if we want to be proactive, uh, how can we actually strengthen our cardiovascular system and, and kind of safeguard ourselves? What sorts of things should we be doing? Well, it, it comes back to the basics, and it's all the things you that people already know, but often we don't follow very well, is 
um, getting a regular amount of exercise is going to be number one. It's, the weather is getting nicer, so getting outside and walking with your your, your friends, your colleagues, your family. Um, the second is if you if you taken up smoking during the pandemic or you restarted smoking or or you uh, struggling to quit smoking is quitting smoking and making sure that you have a smoke-free future. But the third is a little harder, which is eating well, and we've all changed our dietary habits during the pandemic. And I think we really have to focus in on that's a real long-term uh, change. We need to get back to eating healthy for many people. Um, and the final one is really thinking about our, our stress in our life and, and managing that stress appropriately, which is everything from the, the, the uh, emotional or other stresses around work or life or testing, you name it, really dealing and, and helping man- yourself manage that because that's going to help your heart over the long term because the heart does feel that. Doctor, you're a specialist. Obviously, this is your wheelhouse. This new survey done by the Heart and Stroke uh, of, and Health Professionals, researchers and leaders on the impact the pandemic's had on heart health. Anything surprise you? Anything kind of pop up that you thought, oh, wow, that's really interesting? Well, there's, there's many things about this. And the first is that uh, most, uh, well, what didn't surprise me is that our healthcare professionals, such as physicians, uh, doctors, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, you name it, are concerned about their patients, and that's not new. Um, but the many were the, there's more that were that were very concerned about their patients, as in about 80% of our healthcare professionals are concerned about their patients to a greater degree than normal because of the pandemic. And that's everything from access to treatment to all the other factors that impact health. The other part is that um, I was surprised that uh, the, the number of health professionals that had been impacted by COVID by directly having it themselves or a family member. And I think we, we have to be somewhat mindful that they are also affected by COVID in a direct way, not just an indirect way at work and all the other um, restrictions and things that may be going on. Um, and, and the final part that really struck me was that a lot of the health stresses, uh, or sorry, the, the stresses that um, are uh, uh, suffered through from the general public, um, such as you know the emotional or physical stress that uh, people have, is the same for health professionals because after all they are human and they have the same degree of challenges that others have. Doctor Zikowitz, is is it a case that, you know think sometimes outside looking in that when it comes to heart health and cardiology in general, we we have an age bias that this is something that older people that the seniors suffer from. Um, is, is that the case in Canada, or, or should we be concerned to starting at a younger age? We, we need to start um, everything from, um, I would say, pre-birth all the way through uh, young adulthood uh, through older age. And I think the, the, the part that really strikes me is you know, we can do small things at an earlier age. This is when people are teenagers and young adults. And they have a huge lasting impact in terms of health over the long term. So all of us who have a slightly, uh, slightly north of 30, 40, or 50 um, should be paying attention because the things we do now really do impact us in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. So it really does matter what we do as uh, younger uh, people, and that is really where we need to focus a lot more attention, as well as our um, our aging population who want to live a healthy, active uh, life through their 80s. Great reminders. Thank you so much, Doctor, this, for joining us this morning and, and sharing this conversation. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Justin Zikowitz is the cardiologist and director of the cardiovascular research at the University of Alberta. It's so interesting because he said, you know, when it comes to diet, all of us have fallen off. And it, it's interesting because, you know, perhaps you have fallen off. Um, but now we're hearing, you know, that the easing and the removal already here in the province of the REP. What does it take in your mind to say, OK, it's time to put down that bag of chips 
It's time to yeah. stop having that ice cream every single night. Is it? Because we can see the light at the end of the pandemic. Right. And to what the doctor said there, are these, if you've, if you've taken on bad habits, are these bad habits that are going to continue with you? Or are you going to put a cap on it and say, okay, it's time to get back to reality. I'm done with numbing myself with a bag of Oreo cookies every night. Yeah. Because um, I think that probably if you have, if you've gone down that path, you have to turn it around for your health at some point. Well, at some point, yes. At I, some point, you, you know, Because I think, you know, that we, we, when we got into this mess, everything, you know, we were fairly positive we'd get out of it pretty quickly. Yeah. And then depression set in because we realized that wasn't going to happen. And then we've been in it for a long time. And I think, yeah, getting, you're right, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel maybe will help all of us sort of, you know, work ahead, think into the future. We yeah. need to get back in shape. We need to get healthy again. We need to brush our teeth because we've been wearing a mask forever and nobody saw our teeth. Now, it's maybe time to start thinking about that again. And our breath, too. That uh, as well. Could, uh, but it's interesting, because <laughs> so maybe because it's March 1st for adults, I believe, where we're looking at, at this point, you bet. removing the mask mandate, maybe March 1st is really the new year, the New Year's Day of Ooh. 2022. Maybe so. so. Maybe that's where we should be setting our res- resolutions to, because uh, it's going to be kind of back to reality. Knock on wood. experience digestive pain, there actually may be a chance you have an intolerance to gluten. Well, new research out of the University of Calgary is exploring the gut-brain connection and alternative treatments for celiac disease. Joining us to discuss her experience and research into celiac disease is Dr. Justine Dowd, adjunct assistant professor, health and wellness lab in the Faculty of Kinesiology at the University of Calgary. Good morning to you, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, can you kind of break down exactly what celiac disease is? I think there's some misconceptions about that. Sure. Yeah. Often celiac disease is thought of as an allergy, but it's actually an autoimmune disorder, um, a long-term disease of the intestines where your body cannot um, tolerate gluten. So let's break this down. If I have digestive pain and it's something that's new to me, perhaps, uh, how do I know that I have an intolerance to gluten. You know, what is the process and how, how can we get to the bottom of this? Um, so it's really important to start with talking to your doctor or a dietitian if you have digestive struggles um, because often people go off gluten and um, you do need to be eating gluten to, for, the t- for the blood test to work appropriate or to accurately detect um, celiac disease. So the first step would be to talk to your doctor and if you're not getting the support that you need, um, you can talk to a dietitian. They often um, will know the most important next step. Okay, let's talk about the gut-brain connection and how it all relates to celiac disease and, and to you specifically, doctor. Yeah, so I, um, I struggled with celiac disease and IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome myself for many, many years. And so I uh, worked on healing my own gut and my body for, for a long time. And the focus from the healthcare professionals that I worked with was really on the nutrition side, which we know is so important. However, I just felt and I knew intuitively that there is so much more that could and should be done to support people who are struggling. And we know that that's at least one in six people in the population who have significant digestive health struggles. Um, And so that led me to um, start to research other ways that can help people in the coping side of long term, even if we're not going to be able, there's no cure for celiac, but we know that there's better ways that we can help people to cope with it. And so that led me to specifically looking at how self-compassion can help as well as exercise. 
And when we say gut-brain connection, I, I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Dowd, could stress be something that doesn't help a situation like this, somebody who's dealing with celiac disease? Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's, on, it's one thing that's often overlooked. Um, but the gut and the brain are connected by, the, there's a nerve that starts in the brain and goes all the way down to the gut. Um, and then it's a bi-directional um, connection there. And so if we're feeling mentally stressed, often we feel stressed in our gut. Um, or we feel um, pain, discomfort, bloating. And then also if we have pain and discomfort and bloating, that can also affect our mental health as well. So it can be this cyclical um, negative spiral that often happens. And so that's who I actually specialize in help, um, specialize in helping to cope, um, to calm this connection, calm the hypersensitivity that tends to develop when people are struggling with digestive health over the long term. Doctor, other than avoiding eating gluten, obviously, are there other treatments or help that that is available for people who have celiac disease? Um, so everyone does. Um, at this point, the only treatment is following a strict gluten-free diet. Um, the Canadian Celiac Association has a regular conference um, that's virtual now, which is great. And so they did recently just talk about back in November a number of different really exciting um treatments and uh, protocols that are coming out, potentially looking at a different a vaccine that might help, um, different pills that might help. And ultimately down the road, it'll probably be very specialized treatment based on um, your specific symptoms and how severe you are and where you are at in your diagnosis. If you're a new child that's newly diagnosed or if you're 50 years old and have been struggling with this for a long time, it sounds like there's going to be different treatments um, coming up, which is really exciting. Uh, yeah. Dr. Dowd, in your research, did you find any alternative treatments, more of a holistic approach? Is there such a thing? Yes, absolutely. And so this is, again, something that I think makes my work um, pretty unique because typically it is just that focus on diet. And so we focus on self-compassion. And in my research, we specifically found that people who practice self-compassion um, actually have better quality of life when they're coping with a chronic digestive disease. So this kind of seems um, like it, may, it just is common sense. But actually practicing it in real life can be really tricky. Um, but we do know that people can learn to practice self-compassion and it's something that we can, can teach them and it gets easier with practice. Um, and then my research has also found, this is a study that uh, just came out in the last couple of months, um, that exercise was also led to um, reduce gastrointestinal symptoms mm -hmm. in people who, uh, who are coping with celiac disease as well. It wasn't... Um, a direct, uh, it was a randomized controlled trial. Um, a few different things were helping out there too with self-compassion. So it could be a few things that go hand in hand. Yeah, some light at and the end of the tunnel, right? Absolutely. Yeah, great news. Excellent. Thank you so much for the update. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Justine Dowd, Adjunct Assistant Professor, Health and Wellness Lab at the Faculty of Kinesiology at the U of C. Ongoing tough times for Calgary area businesses and business owners, but we've got some help for navigating these unprecedented times. Joining us with some insight and tips of the PR trade, we are joined this morning once again by Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Let's begin with social media. It can be a terrible thing, but for businesses, it can be a very good and positive thing, can't it? Yes, it's, you know, it's kind of a gift that we all have that we can utilize if we are using it in the right way. And if we're really engaging with our audiences and understanding what platforms we should be on 
because it's also very cost effective. So let's define engagement, Ellen, as far as, you know, what we want to see and what's going to be a bonus for our business. Absolutely. So really quickly, if you are a small business that sells products, a lifestyle brand like jewelry, clothing, music, you want to be on Instagram and Facebook. Absolutely. If you're targeting people 15 to 30, you need to be on TikTok. Really important. If you're an advocacy group, you know, a library, a thought leader, medium to large size business, Twitter, we definitely want to be on. And individuals should all be on LinkedIn. And then spending even, you know, 10 to $200 a month on advertising to engage the right audiences is going to be key, especially for the first three weeks or a couple of months when you start these platforms. And to respond to your question about authenticity and engagement, I'm going to really recommend 20 minutes to 30 minutes a day engaging. So that means commenting, liking, starting conversation. I mean, more than ever now, people are looking for connection and camaraderie. So we can really showcase that we're responsive and listening and appreciating what our audiences are doing, and then they will see what we are doing. And it can be very impactful. Yes, for sure. And, I, you know, I think your point is brilliant about, you know, the audience. You know, you need to know who your audience is and you need to speak to them in the language that they speak and they understand. What about uh, video in terms of social media? Is that important? Yes, video is huge right now. 30-second videos are the best. One-minute videos maximum will live on your Instagram or your Facebook page effectively. If they're larger than that, story. But we recommend investing some time and energy into creating powerful short videos because they can be tremendously effective. And then when you do decide to purchase some advertisements, if you want to do that through social media, which is very easy to do, then utilize some of those videos in those ads as well. And you'll see far more engagement when you go and look at your analytics that you access through your social platforms. So yeah, that's a great question about about video. But I think what a, what a key thing is for every brand is if you are creating content that is evoking an emotion, educating your audience, and visually stimulating just those three things every single time, that will be really um, impactful. All right. You've got a few examples of events, you know, when it comes to showcasing your brand you'd like to bring to our attention before we let you go, Ellen? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, these are just beautiful charity events in the community. The Big Ball coming up on March 11th at Hotel Arts in support of men facing challenges due to health issues such as prostate cancer. Um, Hearts Out is another fantastic charity that supports youth in music and dance, and that is on April 30th. So take these new social media skills you just learned, apply them when you go to events and showcase what other charity organizations are doing tag the location where you are, tag the people you're with, and again, build camaraderie. Use these channels to be kind, caring, supportive. I mean, that's what we need more than ever right now, and I'm just a big proponent of that in general. So it's great for business and great for you know, camaraderie and building community. 100%. Also, we'll give a shout out to Glow starting tonight for the next couple of weekends. Part of Chinook Blast Block Heater is coming up as well. So lots of events that people can get involved with and, and help their business as well. Thank you so much this morning for joining us. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Thank Ellen. you. Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. You can go online at parkerpr.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.